You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we're at the end of our sermon series, The Grit of Grace, that we've been in it for a few months. Um, if you're visiting with us, um, usually Fred is the preaching, teaching guy. My name is Garrett. I'm a family minister here. I usually work with the teens um, in student ministry. Uh, so when I talk in front of adults, I get nervous, um, <laughs> and I have to, like, manuscript everything so that I don't mess up. And, uh, but today we're going to, um, Fred suggested that I, I wrap up this series and I, I kind of highlight some of the things uh, that we've talked about so far in this series for the past few months and the grit of grace. And so um, what that is uh, to me is it's a greatest hits album, right? So, so this is the greatest hits of the grit of grace. And um, listening to an album straight, straight through is kind of a lost art form, right? Like we, we, we used to, like an artist would make um, an album, a set of songs that were intentionally put in that order to tell that story. And, um, and it used to be we'd listen on, on a vinyl or a cassette tape or a CD, right? Like, like these things where, where the artist was limited to how much space could fit on that vinyl or cassette tape or CD. Now, we listen to like Spotify or something and an artist can release like one song or a hundred songs, it doesn't even matter, um, which you know, gives the artist more freedom. So maybe like we're in for some more creative like, like music to come. But, uh, but the, the whole like sitting down, listening to the album straight through, kind of a lost art. And this is a, this is a greatest hits. And so that's kind of cheating too. Cause like, I feel like if you buy a greatest hits, you should have to go buy all those albums and listen to the whole thing. Just to listen to that one song off that. So, so we're kind of cheating. So you should have to go back and listen to all those sermons. Um, if you've missed all those ones, this isn't, this isn't your cheat. Like, like I'm going to go over them all, but you've got to go back and listen to the whole album. Okay. Um, so um, since it's a greatest hits album, I kind of mashed up all the titles into one and it's an unfortunate title, but here it is. Um, <laughs> the Grit of Grace in the Hot Mess Manure of Weakness, Inviting Koinonia, Generosity, and Hospitality for City Life. Okay, so you remember kind of the series that we've been through. These have been the titles, um, The Grit of Grace in the Hot Mess, The Grit of Grace in the Manure, The Grit of Grace in Weakness, The Grit of Grace in, in, in the Invitation. So, so we're going to get through all of those. So track one. We define grit as... Um, with Angela Duckworth, she, she's done research, she wrote a book called Grit, and she defines it as this combination of perseverance and passion over a long period of time. It's the idea of strength that comes from holding on to a foundation through pain and through trials and through time. And so in our context, that foundation that we're holding on to is God and his kingdom, right? It's, it's our holding on to our baptism, our, our pledge uh, of allegiance of faith to Jesus and in, in, in his way, right? It's going to take grit to push through the temptation and the desire to do what the world does all around us, right? right? The, the world's demonstrating a, this, this division, this antagonism, this chasing after our own good rather than others, this seeking power rather than the self-emptying love of the kingdom, right? It, it, it compromise, it, we're called to compromise our allegiance to this kingdom, and it's going to take grit to trust in his grace, to believe that this way is the only real way to be human and the only hope for the world. Because we're told thousands of times a day to believe otherwise, to believe other stories, and to put our hope in other things. And sometimes the only time that we hear this message is and recall our own story is when we gather on a Sunday. 
And so for this series, it's been this effort to remind us and to call us deeper into and to ground us in this grit, right? This effort and intentionality that it's going to take to stay passionate, to persevere over a long period of time. That's grit, right? To consistently have that passion for his grace and his way and the constant waves of other ways that we persevere through time and attacks and through attractive alternatives. And so grace, we defined, um, God's grace can be described as as God doing for us what we are incapable of doing for for ourselves. That's a thanks to Dallas Willard. Um, Saving grace of God, sometimes we think about that as like a one-time thing. God, God saved me. His grace saved me. But the truth is, is that God's grace is at work in our lives all the time making us more and more of who God's Spirit wants us to be. God's always at work making me and you who he wants us to be. So we call this God's uncreated divine energy, his grace. It's at work in your life, and it invites us to hold on to the belief that this grace has no limits, and his redemption no bounds, and his love no end. And we call this holding on to the grit of grace. Track two. And this was, uh, Fred called it the hot, hot mess, right? And, and he defined um, a mess like, like it used to be like a meal served. And so if it was hot, it was a hot mess, right? And so, but in, in our, you know, urban dictionary definition of the word hot mess, um, it's this idea that we all have messes, um, but sometimes we try to look good in our mess or hide our mess, so we're a hot mess, right? Um, this is the Sunday best mentality. You guys know the Sunday best mentality where you get your best clothes and your best attitude and you kind of hide the ugly, you know, you hide the bad attitude. And so we put on this show for Sunday, right? right? The Sunday best mentality. And um, we put on this show that we're not a mess. And hopefully this isn't true here um, because I think it's pretty clear that we're a mess. Sorry, I, I can see it. <laughs> it. Your mess is showing. Um, <laughs> um, so, so hiding it, right, like, like put, putting on the mask, it doesn't help. We're a community that confesses our messes. And that's a good rhyme, so I'm going to say it again, right? Like we are a community that confesses our messes. Um, we're open. We're honest because we believe that that's the best way to be human, the best way to be a community of faith that God has called us to be. We believe that God is at work in our messes. That's the grit of grace, right? Like where we have this passion and perseverance over a long period of time through the mess, right? Only because we believe in grace, this divine energy that works best in the mess. His grace is constantly doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so the mess is actually an opportunity for God to be put on display, his power to be put on display in our weakness. Because the best news is is that God works best in the mess. Paul was a mess. And Paul, uh, near the end of his life, was writing to Timothy, and he said this in 1 Timothy 15 through 16. He said, this is a saying uh, that is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. But this is why I was shown mercy, so that Christ Jesus could show his endless patience to me first of all. So I'm an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. So in our effort to cover up our mess or to make our mess hot, um, we, we aren't having grit, right? Like, like that's not having grit. The grit comes when we embrace the mess, when we embrace the grace that is there in the mess. The grit is there when we enter into the mess of others, right? And allow others into our mess to help. 
which brings us to manure. <laughs> Track three, <laughs> manure. And so in this one, um, Fred stepped in the manure, right? Like, <laughs> um, we talked about this parable of the fig tree. It's this parable of grace. And the owner of the fig tree does what the crowd that Jesus was speaking to was doing and what any owner would do. It had been three years in this fig tree, if you could call it a fig tree because it didn't have figs, this tree, it wasn't producing figs. And so the owner says, chop it down, right? It's had time and it's failed. But the gardener, who represents Jesus in this parable, he knows that it takes more than time to heal. It takes more than time to do anything. Time on its own doesn't do anything. Right? It takes doing something with that time. It takes more than time to produce fruit. And the gardener says it's going to take manure, right? the stinky, messy waste that isn't wasted on God. Right? What, what we call waste and filth and, and undesirable, right? the stuff that we would rather not have in our life, the stuff that we wouldn't touch if we didn't have to, um, manure is that hard stuff that happens, right? M- manure happens, right? Um, <laughs> right? The, the loss, the sickness, the betrayal, uh, the pain, the persecution, the brokenness, the stuff that happens when we don't expect it. It shows up in our lives and it's, and it's the mess. It's, it's the manure. And, and whether it's all our fault or someone else's fault or an attack from the enemy or just because we live in a broken world, the, this, this manure happens And one of the truths of this parable is that sometimes the way that we grow deep lives is when the manure piles on, the stuff that that, that we don't want, right? What seems like a waste becomes manure, right? It it brings life when God steps in and produces something with it. And so like the gardener in the parable, the master gardener of our lives is gracious. And as the rain of sin and death at work in this world around us piles on the manure, we know the master gardener is with us at work, in the soil of our lives, and he intends to make something meaningful with the manure. And to believe that is the grit of grace, right? Holding on to this belief that God's grace has no limits, his redemption no bounds, and his love no end. And in this this manure, it's going to invite you to trust that God is tending to your life despite circumstances, and he intends to make something meaningful from it, right? It could produce a deeper love, a stronger faith, a deeper patience, and a stronger courage. And James speaks to this in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. This manure will invite you to give grace to others, right? Like, like the gardener, we offer mercy and patience or even forgiveness to the others whose lives are filled with manure. Right? When, when we discover the grit of grace in our own manure, we should be compelled to help others in theirs. And sometimes that means we're going to get their manure on us. right? And there's grace in that too because God will use it to help us to grow. And so let's follow the master gardener and be gracious gardeners in the lives of others. So track three is a mashup, all right? So like, like when other artists could come in, like, like me and Jason um, both spoke during the series, and both of our, our sermon titles included the word weakness, all right? And so, so this is kind of a, a mashup and a um, featuring other artists, you know, when you see that, like Chance the Rapper, feature, yeah, sorry, Chance the Rapper, you guys, Chance fans, all right? Um, <laughs> and so in my sermon, I, I, um, I did kind of a worst of album, 
<laughs> it was kind of the, the chronicling the worst moments in the lives of every Bible character. Remember how long that took? I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry that I went too long. Hopefully this one is shorter. Um, uh, but, but I went through the Bible, and all of these characters, and all of their weakest moments, God's grace was revealed in those weak moments. And we talked about Paul's thorn, right? In, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about he has this thorn in the flesh, you know, this, this weakness, um, but, but he believed it to be God's strength. So his weakness was God's strength. And Paul pleaded uh, for God to remove it, but, God heard, but Paul heard God when he said, my grace is sufficient for you. So what Paul faces is whether or not to have grit, right? The thorn in the flesh stays, but so does grace, right? It's going to take grit to hold on to that grace in spite of the thorn. For Paul, we see the grit when he says a couple verses later that he will boast in weaknesses because that's when God's strength is shown. And we can say with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Jason did a much better job than I did. Um, he, focused on, he focused on the strength of God that looks like weakness, right? The strength of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God that looks like folly and weakness in the eyes of the world because the message of the cross is foolishness to the world and what seems like folly to the world will actually endure. And the grit is believing that in the face of a world that is so sharply divided. And believing that means unity for us because in John 17, Jesus prays that we his followers would be united as close as Jesus is with the Father, that we would be one. Because when the world says that we should be divided by political party or race or socioeconomic positions or national borders, Jesus comes in and he creates this kingdom that unites them. And he says that, that this supernatural unity is a sign to the world pointing to him as king sent by God. So why would we allow a border or a political affiliation to get in the way of that unity that Jesus prays for. When we submit our relationships to Jesus, Jesus um, takes those relationships and he roots them in this unity that he prays for in John 17. It's only when we submit to that wisdom and power that we're part of this kingdom. And Jason explored this division in the Corinthian church where Paul had some pretty harsh teachings encouraging them to empty themselves for the sake of their weaker brother or sister. Paul expected them to absorb injustice against themselves rather than cause any division in the body, saying that you have no part in this kingdom if you're unwilling to lay down your rights for the sake of the body of Christ. It's a harsh teaching from Paul. Track 4 is entitled Invitation, and now we, we come to track four understanding the mess, the manure, the weakness, which is actually strength, and the call to lay down our rights for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the weak, for the sake of the world. But when we look at John 1, what we find, this invitation to these first disciples to see what Jesus is up to, we find um, a very different invitation, a very simple invitation. We find John the Baptist out in the wilderness, right? This rough guy with this intense message of repentance, right? It's a call to turn away from placing our hope in the wrong things and offering our loyalty to the wrong kingdoms. And this messenger and this message, he was, he was a primer, like, like, a, like a pregame, like a precursor, right? He was getting people ready for this Messiah, for this king who would be unlike all other kings. And so Jesus shows up and John and all those paying attention to John, they see this king and they pay attention. In the first chapter of John, verse 35, it says this. It says, The next day, John was standing 
again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus saw them following, he asked, what are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? He replied, come and see. And so they went and saw where he was staying. So they aren't aware of the mess and the manure and the weakness that's ahead, right? They're, they're not making a decision to lay down their life and pick up their cross just yet, right? Their question was, where are you staying? And their response was to an invitation, come and see. They're looking for home, and Jesus is home. Henry Nouwen says this, God wants to be our room, our house. He wants to be anything that makes us feel at home. She is like a bird hugging us under her wings. She is like a woman holding us in her womb. She is infinite mother, loving host, caring father, the good provider who invites us to join him. So Jesus wants to be home for us. Before, before we need manure to grow, the invitation is to come home. And as they follow Jesus, he reveals this life and he reveals this home. And then we're invited into this home and he offers us his spirit, right? And we talked about this word for spirit is pneuma in the Greek. It also means breath. Jesus wants to be as close as our breathing. And as his breath created the heavens and the earth and as his breath animates the universe and as his breath is offered to us after we come and see, and we're invited then to follow, to receive the Spirit, to do what we've seen him do. And this invitation gives us a home. And it gives us a new name. And the grit of this invitation is to come and see and to find our home, to follow, and to stay. And it's when we come and see and when we stay that brings us to track five, koinonia. Right? When we come and see and when we stay, we find others who have done the same. And more than just others that have the same belief, we're a home, we're a family, we're a body. And that's koinonia, right? Um, in this message, Fred opened with a threat, right? It was, pretty, it was pretty scary. Brace yourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul encouraged the, the Corinthians church to greet each other with a holy kiss. <laughs> like, 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 are we going to live into that WCC or what? <laughs> I don't want to scare anybody away, but, but Fred was just trying to demonstrate the intimacy that this is, this koinonia. It's not just um, uh, some affiliation, like we were like the same team or something. Like, like we're called into this intimate fellowship. And, and this word fellowship has kind of been hijacked in our, in our common language, right? right? Fellowship halls and fellowship meals and fellowship comes to mean hanging out. Um, but it's so much more than that. It means we're intimately joined together, right? This is a partnership. It's a a shared life, and, and we share in common this life. It's, it's the most important connection we have. It's the shared spirit. He gave us his breath, and we share that same breath. We share that same spirit. And so this, this breath that we share, this spirit that we share, this koinonia that we have with Jesus, then comes a submission to his power and his wisdom so that we find koinonia with each other because this shared common life, it's going to take grit, right? It's going to... It's going to mean we're going to need to learn to disagree well sometimes. We need, we need to learn to, to get in and allow one another into the messes that we try to hide, right? It, it means we're going to have to let others into our manure instead of flinging it at each other. 
right? We need to put on display that divine unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17. We need to become more gracious because God showed us his grace. We need to be a body working together to put Christ on display. We need to step out of Babylon in order to make his kingdom come and his will be done as it is in heaven. So koinonia is going to take kenosis, which is another Greek K word. I feel like this, this uh, message of Fred should have been brought to you by the letter K. Uh, so because we have koinonia, um, and this koinonia is going to take kenosis. And Paul described what kenosis was in Philippians 2, and it's this idea of this self-emptying love that Christ had, who was God but emptied his godness for the sake of humanity. So in Philippians 2, verse 5, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by, be, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. See, Paul, Paul's saying this about Christ so that we might empty ourselves too, right? We might have kenosis for the sake of koinonia, for the sake of fellowship. Back up a few verses, Paul said that if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. That might mean we have to empty our other ways of thinking. Having the same love, that might mean we have to empty some other loves. Sharing the same feelings, that might mean we have to empty some of other, our other feelings. Focusing on one goal, that might mean we have to empty our other goals. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This koinonia is going to take kenosis, right? For the sake of... Like, like for God's sake, right? For, for, for the unity that is going to point, other, point the world to Jesus. Christ prays for this in John 17, and he believes that it's vital to his message. Track six, <laughs> generosity and hospitality. So God is a God of generosity and hospitality. We see this in the creation narrative where God makes room in his life for creation. Right? And then he gives everything he has to us, inviting us to join him in his ongoing creation. We see it over and over again in the story of God's people as he makes room for them, even in their mistakes. Right, like He continues entering into their mess and inviting us in to be with him because he is generous and he offers hospitality. And that should make us more generous and hospitable, right? It's, it's in this practicing of fellowship and this emptying of the divisive things that matter less than unity that we enter into God's mission together. And right, this is a mission, this is God's mission of making right what's been made wrong through the reign of sin and death, right? And it's marked by generosity and hospitality. And the call and the motivation for us to come and see is love, right? It's not wrath, it's not fear, it's not shame or hell or threat. And so the invitation is love. And so we join God in this mission. Our role is to love, right? Our, room is to, our role is to make room in our life for the other, to give until it hurts as if we've been told to take up our cross. And so we make a home into which others are welcome. It's always been this way, right? 
the invitation leads us to, to be hospitable and generous, which brings us to track seven, which is called City Life. Right? And the invitation is to live life where you are. Right? You are not here by accident. Uh, this exile is not an ac- accident. It is a part of God's mission. And when we join God in what he is doing here and now, this city, this community of faith, this time, Jeremiah 24, I mean 29, 4 through 7. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, cultivate gardens, eat what they produce, get married, have children, then have your sons find, help your sons find wives, your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in numbers so that you don't dwindle, dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because your future depends on its welfare. It's always been for the sake of the city. It's always been for the sake of the world, for the sake of the places where God's people find themselves. And sometimes I think God gets frustrated with us, like he got frustrated with the Israelites after he led them out of Egypt, and they complained, and they argued, and they didn't work for the good of the city, of the culture that God was creating, right? And, and we live in this culture war, right, where we play victim because someone says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, or we fight the way the world fights with weapons, or we try to legislate morality, um, or we get mad at a chicken sandwich restaurant for giving to a different Christian charity instead of the one that they used to give to, right? And, and we've been given this example by Jesus of love and sacrifice, and yet the reputation Jesus gets sometimes is party politics and fear and anger, because that's what the world sees. People claiming allegiance to Jesus, but proving that their allegiance is to something else that doesn't look anything like Jesus, right? The grid of grace says we seek the welfare of the city, not by separating ourselves from it, but by entering into it with love, not fear-mongering, not legislating morality, but loving the least and the lost and the left out, the vulnerable. We're to love the ones that the world seems to forget. Track eight. And this is the secret track, right? Like the one that, you know, at the end of the record or at the end of the tape, there's some silence for a while. And then, surprise, there's another song on here. And this is an unreleased track. So this is just, um, this, is, this is extra, right? Um, so today is Christ the King Sunday. So in, on the Orthodox Christian calendar, Christ the King Sunday is the last Sunday of the Christian calendar before we start the new year with Advent. All right, so Christ the King Sunday is a day that we, we understand that the King has come and is coming, which is what leads us into Advent, right? And Advent, we believe that Jesus has come and is coming, right? And Advent celebrates incarnation, and incarnation is this big word that simply means God became a man, right? God put skin on and came down into our mess and into our manure and felt the weakness that we feel and endured everything we could throw at him and, and did not repay evil for evil, but died um, and rose again, right? Like, like he lived a life of generous hospitality and extended an invitation to be with us and for us and for the world, even when the world was crucifying him. It's this idea that what God had to say couldn't be said in words or ideas or laws, but by a person. And so God became a man. And then incarnation becomes this idea where where we put skin on faith, too. 
right? It, it's the Spirit in us leading us and working in the world and working through us. Um, just as Jesus steps down into our hot mess, then he says, now, just as God sent Jesus, Jesus sends us, right? Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he says, you are the light of the world. Jesus says, I am living water, and then he says, you have streams of living water flowing from you. He invites us in. He invites us to join him on mission for the sake of the world, for those on the margins. He shows us um, his concern for the least, the lost, the left out. He performs miracles. He subverts empires. He flips the world upside down, and he says, you are going to do even bigger things than this. That's the grit of grace. That's the grit, to believe that we're going to do bigger things than Jesus, right? He invites us to be his body, be his hands and feet, and that's going to take grit. So every week, we come to this table, and we remember his body, right? We remember the incarnation. Remember, he gave his body for us, and he invites us to do the same for the world. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.